Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. If you have your Bibles, I want to go quickly because I don't, I can't think of a message. It's interesting. I woke up this morning and thought, man, sometimes, Lord, I wonder if you talk to me. You know, I don't know if you're like me at all. And you're like, God, I don't know if I always hear you, but today I felt like I did. With all that I woke up to this morning, and we're in this series in Acts, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 13. We've been journeying through Acts chapter by chapter, and we're in chapter 13, and there's a passage specifically that I want to point out. Now, I want to move through it quickly because my time is limited, but we find ourselves in verse 13 in Acts chapter 13, and this is Paul, he and a companion have ended up in a, in a space where he's about to preach the gospel. In verse 14, it says, moving on from Perga, they arrived in Pisidian Antioch. And on the Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law of the prof- and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent them a message saying, brothers, if you have any message of exhortation for the people, please speak it. Now, Poseidon Antioch was the city that had mixed ethnicity and so much turmoil because so many different people were living together in this space, right? People from different tribes and tongues and nations. This was a military installment, an administrative center of Rome. So it was a hotbed of activity. And Paul does what he often does. Like as you read through his letters, you'll see him do a very similar thing time and time again. He shows up in a space. He looks for the synagogue. It's the first thing he does. He goes to find the Jews. He shows up at the synagogue and he begins to preach. Now, they don't know when they invite him up that he's about to speak something brand new to them. See, they invited him up as a courtesy as a fellow Jew. But now Paul goes on in Acts chapter 13 to preach what is the longest recorded sermon that he has in the New Testament, this particular passage. Now, um, he begins by recounting Israel's story. He, he, he does exactly what they would expect, and then he does this sudden turn because um, he begins to speak about Jesus. And he begins to fill in blanks that the children of Israel might have about what was to come, about the Messiah. And he's speaking of Jesus. And and he goes on and he concludes his sermon with, with a line that I think is so integral to understanding where we find ourselves today. When he says this in verse 35, I'm not gonna go through his entire sermon. I encourage you to go and read that on your own time. But he says this in Acts 13, 38, let it be known to you, therefore, my brothers, that through this man, he's talking of Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. He says the forgiveness of sins. Now, according to Paul, Throughout his letters, he lists a primary reason the world is the way that it is. In fact, he lists the word sin 52 times in his letters. And I know what some of you are thinking, oh no, you did all this nice quiet stuff because you were going to turn the corner and talk to me about sin today, 
right? Some of you are like, palms are sweaty, right? Don't worry, I am gonna talk about sin, but I think there's an understanding we need to have about it. If you look at the word that is used, the Greek word that Paul uses for sin, that word can literally be translated to missing the mark. So if, you, if you've ever taken up, you know, like archery, right? Or you've gone and shot a gun in, a, in, a, in one of those places where you shoot guns. Obviously, I don't go and do that because I can't even tell you what it's called. But if you've ever been around a target, you know what it means to hit a mark, to see a target. And that's a good visual for what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's saying there is a mark, there's, there's a mark that we are to hit, and sin is the missing of the mark. It is the pulling back of the arrow and shooting it, and either hitting the wrong target or missing it altogether. In fact, the word that's used in Hebrew most often for sin is a word that would be associated with straying from the path. When I say sin, I want you to think about missing the mark. Like missing the mark altogether. Because I will tell you that nearly all that plagues this world is adventures in missing the mark. Injustice, racism, the lure for the misuse of power, war, totalitarianism, materialism, infidelity, abuse, addiction. The list goes on and on and on, and it is all missing the mark. Romans 2.23 says this, that all have missed the mark. We as human beings are missing the mark. We consistently miss the mark and it made me think if there if the world is the way that it is because we're missing the mark should we then really clearly this morning define what the mark is maybe we should just go back to like 101 one time this morning and go well then what is the mark that we are to hit because the truth is None of you are going to be able to get on a plane and fix what is happening in the Ukraine or what is happening over in the Middle East. You, you won't be able to do it. And because of that, oftentimes we as human beings, we, we feel powerless. But here's what you can do. You can understand your heart and the mark and see if today we might more closely align our hearts with that mark. So what is the mark? Well, what is it? Well, I think linguistically we have to understand what those of you that accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior really accepted. Okay? So we start right from the basics. When you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you became what is called a disciple. I know we hear about disciples. These were the 12 that followed Jesus, but no, 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 no. If you, if you accepted Jesus, you became a disciple. And, and all that means, it's really simple, that you have agreed that you will trust Jesus, 
You will pledge your allegiance to him. You will look at what he taught. You will try to apply that to your life. That you will follow what he did and do the same. It's really quite simple. What did Jesus say and do? I will say and do. This is what we signed up for. And yet, even the disciples that followed Jesus after making a claim to follow him seem to be consistently missing the mark. So I wanna say this, if you walked in today and you're like, oh no, this is a room filled of people who are hitting the mark and I might be the only one missing it. No, 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 you're in good company. We all are pretty much missing the mark all the time. We are missing the mark and we are constantly realigning ourselves to who Jesus is and trying today to hit that mark more fully. And, and, and you see it, you see it in Jesus' life. You have to go back a little bit though. There's this moment, and I, I think you could tell a lot, a lot about a person, but what they do in the last week of their life, right? You know, like a lot of times when we, uh, we, we often have these ideas, it's like if I ever got a cancer diagnosis and I knew I was terminal, what would I do? Christy and I were like on an airplane and, and sometimes I have these morbid conversations like, well, what would you do in the last week of your life? She's, she's like, Eric, I don't talk about this. And like, well, no, no, I mean, it's kind of important. It says something about us. Like, what would we do? We'd go to Italy? She's like, no, we wouldn't go to Italy. What then? We'd go spend it with our kids. I'm like, well, then that means we'd just be cleaning up after them. Spend the last week of my life doing that. But, but I was thinking about this last week of life and, and I got to thinking about Jesus last week of his life. And I don't know if you've ever looked at it, but it's pretty interesting. Because Jesus finds himself in the last week of his life, I think as I read scripture, a bit frustrated with his disciples because they seem to be missing the mark. Right? He's frustrated because for the last three years, he's gone about preaching this new kingdom in this new way. Like he is the savior. He's bringing something new that could change everything. And nobody gets it. Nobody gets it. And so last week of his life, Sunday, we call that Palm Sunday. This is the triumphal entry. This is the one where Jesus is gonna ride into Jerusalem and he has his disciples go and commandeer a donkey for him. He gets on the donkey, but the Bible tells you that as he looked down at the cheering crowds, waving the palm branches, his first reaction was sadness. Because these people who knew Jesus was coming, they thought that he was coming to liberate them from Rome, like a war hero. And he says, oh, if they only knew this day, what would bring them peace? On Sunday, Jesus is sad because he looks at these people he's been, he's been preaching to and they're missing the mark and he's so sad. And then Monday comes and his emotion changes. He went from being sad I don't know if you've ever had one of these moments where something's happened in your life where you feel your emotions move from sadness to anger. 
You ever had one of those where it goes from sad? That's Jesus. He wakes up in the morning, and, and the first thing you see him do is he curses this fig tree that's out of season. Now, that's a metaphor. He's cursing that fig tree that isn't bearing fruit, and this is a metaphor for Israel. He's saying, these, these people are missing it. He's getting angry. He then goes to the temple, and what does he do? Throws over the tables. Remember that? He starts, he, I mean, he literally, he's furious. He's like, I've been here for three years talking about this kingdom and nobody gets it. So he sat on Sunday. He's furious on Monday. And then on Tuesday, what does he do? He goes to his disciples and he tries to tell them about the fig tree. He's trying to help them understand. You almost feel this. Now he's, there's, there's almost like an anxiety. You see him in the temple, he's preaching. It's like, I got one, I only got a few more days. I gotta help these people understand what it is that I came to do. So he is just like, he's preaching in the temple. There's, a, there's an anxiety in him. They say, listen, you're missing the mark. You don't get it. And Wednesday it's silent. And then comes Thursday. Now you have to stop and think about this whole moment. You have to put it all in the context for just a second. Jesus knows the end of his life is coming. All his work about to culminate in this moment. And he's sitting with his 12 disciples, the people who said, I will follow you. The whole church is dependent on these young men. And you can almost see Jesus go, okay, I gotta break this down in some simple terms because these kids are knuckleheads, right? Now that's not in the Bible, that's just my translation. But, but now think about it. They come in and, and he first gets down and he washes their feet. This is the Passover meal, this is this last meal. He washes their feet and then he explains to them about this new covenant that's coming, right? And then he does something think is so profound and so important, he breaks it all down into a singular phrase. He says, listen, gentlemen, the world will have ways in which they exist. You see, I think we, we think about discipleship and we're like, oh, that's a Christian thing. No, 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 no. Everybody has a disciple, some rule of that you're following. Whether you're a disciple of capitalism or whether you're a political disciple, all of us align our lives with something and follow that something, right? It's not just rabbis. We all do it. And Jesus is saying, listen, everybody will disciple themselves to something, some idea, some cause. Let me tell you what my disciples will look like. So he's saying, let me tell you what the mark is. John 13, 35, Jesus says these words. By this, everyone will know that you are mine if you love one another. He says, listen, listen. All of this, my kingdom, 
It is predicated on this. And that's why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians says this, 13, 13, he says, so now faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is what? Love. And here's the rub. Disciples of Jesus, we have to understand we are not doing that well with this greatest commandment. In 2018, a bunch of people who don't know Christians were asked, describe Christians, and do you know the one word that didn't make the list was loving. Jesus' one command in John 13, 35, said this is how you will know my disciples is the one word we're not described by. You, you, you think about that. The one thing that Jesus says we should be known by, and I know sometimes we, we make excuses and we're like, well, because you know, Christians or non-Christians, they don't like us very much. Well, maybe they should. And so this morning, it's real simple. In my closing few minutes, I'm gonna ask you for real to do a heart check. Four things that I think are the mark. Not, not that I believe are the mark, but it's the Apostle Paul, the writer of this message. Most of the New Testament spells out what the mark looks like to love. And I'm just gonna ask you to do some introspection real quick. This verse is one of those verses that I think gets dismissed because every time I do a wedding and I ask someone, what verse do you want me to use? They always come back to this verse because it describes how you'd like your marriage to look, right? We know it. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The apostle Paul lays out what love looks like. Now listen to these words and then we're gonna do a heart check. It says, love is patient and it's kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It is always hopeful, and it endures through every circumstance. You understand this description is not just a description of love. It is a description of Jesus, our rabbi. It is him. This man that we have said we would follow with our lives, that we would emulate the way in which he moved, that we would speak the way that he speaks. This is Jesus. And so I pull out four things from this verse and I just ask you, how are you doing these days? Now, this only works if you don't nudge your neighbor. This is between you and the Lord. But first, how are you doing this day? Because Jesus was kind and not cruel. Look at every interaction that Jesus had. Kindness prevailed. Never cruel. 
kindness always when it was the woman who was caught in adultery or in Luke chapter seven when the woman comes in and they wanna kill her because she pours this broken bottle, a bottle of alabaster on his feet, right? Jesus was always kind. He would always say, yo, step back. Leave, leave her alone. Jesus was always kind and never cruel. And I asked, how's your kindness meter today? Do you find yourself just ready to rip someone to shreds? Find reasons why your harsh tone is okay. Jesus was never cruel. He was always kind. And I know so often we think about wanting to say what we need to say. And in our culture, we've given a lot of pass on like, oh, he or she's just speaking the truth. My rabbi always spoke truth. Always spoke truth. But he was never cruel. Never. My rabbi that I follow was always kind. He always spoke truth, but he was never cruel. And I know what we say so often, we're like, oh goodness, Eric, you're just being all soft now. No, 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 no. There is nothing more difficult than in the face of someone's cruelty, you respond with kindness. There is nothing more difficult when you are disrespected. For do you see through that disrespect and answer with love. The easiest thing is always to jump, to pop off, to let them know through a couple of salutes how you feel about them, right? Jesus was never cruel. He was always kind. And I ask you this day, how are you doing? The second thing I, I would ask you to think about, Jesus was always inviting. He was never excluding. He was always inviting people into the kingdom. He was looking people from the outside. He was saying, oh, you don't, you, you don't have a place. You can come to my table. You can eat with me. You can sit with me. He was always bringing people in, always bringing people in. He was always kind to the outsiders, but he was hard on the insiders. For those of us that sit on the inside and we don't want anybody else to get inside and take our space and get our stuff, Jesus was always invitational, always his life was open. How are you doing these days? This is the mark. Third thing I ask you to think about yourself is, says that Jesus, he kept no record of wrong and I wonder, what are you holding on to this day? Jesus always forgave. I've been listening to someone that some of you all know quite well, John Ortberg. He has this new website called becomenew.me. And he's walking through this series on forgiveness. And, and, it, and, it, and it spoke to me because I think so often one of the ways in which we miss the mark is we cannot let go of what has been done to us. An inability to forgive an inability to let go. We keep track in our mind. I do it too of what you did to me. In a room this size, there's a good chance that there's probably a quarter of this room have broken relationships. 
people you do not interact with anymore, that you don't speak with anymore, people that did you wrong somewhere along the way, and it feels justifiable, but the mark for us as followers of Jesus is forgiveness. It is why that hangs behind me. How you doing this day with keeping records of wrong? And lastly, he never gave up. He never lost hope. Even in this moment, the week before he would go to his grave and nobody seemed to get the message, he continued to move on. Did he have doubts? Of course he did. You say, no, wait a minute, Jesus had doubts? Yeah. He goes to the garden the night before, right? And he's sweating blood and he says, Father, if this cup could pass me, would you let it? But if this is what I must do, then I will. He never gave up. He never lost hope. And I wonder if some of us in this room, how, how, how's it going with your hope meter these days? Have you lost hope? Have you given up? If you're like, oh, God can't turn this around. He can't fix this. My boss, my job, my marriage. No, no, no. This is what Jesus does. This is our mark. We need communities that follow this springing up around the world. The only way we solve the issues that ail us is if people really believe John 13 35 and that is they will know my disciples by how they love know my disciples by how they love know my disciples by how they hit that mark and will you mess it up yeah you will you 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 will mess it up because you're human but to come back to realign ourselves to this this is the beauty of Jesus and let me just end with this. Let me remind you of who our rabbi is, this man that you've committed followership to. He is the man that met you in your shadows, all of your insecurities, all of your fears. He met you in that space. He was the man that saved you when your life was being tossed to and fro. He's the man that insisted you do not have to be enslaved by anxiety or worry any longer. That is the Jesus I know. This is the Jesus that is not about guilt nor shame, but he is absolutely about truth. This is the Jesus that anchors you and centered you when you felt your whole world was being torn apart. Jesus, the compass guide he's the rabbi that turned everything right set up when it felt upside down in your world he is this man who brings profound insight into what might be possible in your life when nothing seems possible anymore this is Jesus through Jesus I have found that anyone can be generous and anyone can become less worried and anyone can become fearless that anyone can be loving he is the restorer of all things shriveled hearts 
broken hearts, twisted minds. This is Jesus. This is our rabbi. The fixer of all things. The writer of all wrongs. He is the man that loved even in a room when he knew that man was going to turn him in. He washed his feet too. This is Jesus. He is the cornerstone of this world. And I ask you this day, Forest City Church, do you know him? Will you follow him? Because really the mark, it is Jesus. The mark is Jesus. The mark is Jesus. And this day for some of us, it will be the day you'll never forget because you will decide to disciple your life to that man, to that way. For some of us, We'll walk out and realign our lives once again to that way. And here's the great news of grace. If you have messed up or you've dropped out or you've let it go or you've kicked it to the side or you thought it wasn't for you, this is what is great. No matter how many times you've walked up and said, God, will you help me again? He says, yes. You may have messed up 101 times. He says, come back 102. You may have dropped the ball a thousand and one times and Jesus says, come back a thousand and two. You may have abused his grace, abandoned him, walk away from all of his truth and he still says, come home to me. Come home to me. Align your life to mine. Will you stand with me? We are disciples of Jesus first and last he is our rabbi his mark has been set clearly in this word there is a way and he's asking you to try it to follow it to taste it and then to invite others into it it is the only way heals human hearts and fixes what ails us. It is a way that's bigger than this small little world that we live in. It is a way that promises us life here and there. It is a way of life. It is the mark. And I'm asking you to realign your hearts to that way. Jesus said, by this, the whole world will know you are my disciple. Will you love like me? God, I pray for every one of my friends, for me included, that you will realign our hearts to the reality of your word, of the gospel. That the sin is that we miss the mark consistently, but that you call us back time and time again to realign. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. And now may we go be that love to this world. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.